Thank you, guys. All right, you may take your seats. Good morning, everybody. So if you'd open up your Bible to James chapter 5, we're going to be looking at James chapter 5. And uh, as I said earlier, um, pastor's away, so, so um, this week I will be um, teaching here. And, and what I was tasked to speak about is prayer, since we're leading up to the uh, prayer vigil, and more specifically, uh, confession and prayer. So before we get into that, let's, what we were just challenged with there is to agree with the Lord. So let's go back before the Lord and let's pray. Um, as you're finding James chapter 5, we're going to be anchoring right there at verse number 13. Um, so let's, let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for your presence here with us today. We thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that you've left us the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, as a guarantee. And Lord, the promise that you'll be back that you'll come again, and that you'll receive us unto yourself, Lord. God, this morning, as we have this opportunity to look to your word, Lord, we pray, first of all, that you would get all the honor and the glory here this morning. Um, Lord, I, I just humbly come before you and pray that you would just uh, intercede, that, Lord, you would um, speak through me, Lord, I know that you've used a donkey in the past to speak, so we know that you can surely use me this morning. And I just pray, God, that you would uh, meet here with us and we would just uh, honor you, Lord. We, we love you and we pray all these things right now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, so when it comes to prayer, um, we we realize that um, when we're in prayer, we're talking to God. And um, what we'll find out here as we read through the scripture is that um, even as we're singing, we're talking to God. That's a form of prayer as well, and it can kind of be interchangeable in that way. So. Let me put my glasses on. I'm about ready to turn 50, so I, I now have to use these. So I don't know if anyone else here can relate. <laughs> um, so the idea in, in um, can, we're going to continue on a thought here that, that James had had earlier on, that while we're suffering and while we're going through hardship, we're going to trust God during those difficult times. What, and what does that look like? Let's take a look at James chapter 5, verse 13, and um, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. In verse 14, Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him, with oil in the name of the Lord. So let's, let's take a, a look real quick at verse number 13. It says here, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And we understand that in times of suffering, as a Christian, it seems natural to go to prayer. We pray and ask God for intervention, we pray and ask God many times to, to, to alleviate that suffering or to get us through to the next thing. It goes on here and then says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. So the cheerful should sing psalms of praise to God and the sick should call for the elders of the church asking them to pray for their need, it goes on to say. So It's almost an interchangeable thing here, follow me if you will, that the cheerful sing and the suffering pray, but it could also be said that if you're suffering to sing and if you're cheerful to pray, and I believe we're, 
we're, we're challenged when we're going through something that is difficult. Uh, instead of complaining, um, which we would see earlier in the book of James in chapter 5, verse 9, um, instead of murmuring against one another um, or complaining or, or even worse, breaking out into curses or swearing, we, um, we should pray to God. So James has this same advice for both the suffering one and the cheerful one that we should take it to the Lord. In fact, the two commands here could be reversed. Elsewhere in, in the New Testament, we see um, a commentator, um, James Moffat, says this, that the word to sing praise refers to actually public worship. Um, and the classical uh, Greek usage here in the Old Testament would be um, decisive to sing songs with actual musical accompaniment. So in, this, is, this is what we do here in our church. We, we give time. Uh, many people would say, why, why do you sing so many songs in the beginning of your service? Why do you commit so much time to to, the, to that portion of the service? Why do you put so much emphasis on that? And, and as a worship leader, you know, um, I've, I've heard people uh, talk positively and negatively about those types of things, but I, I believe it is biblical for us to, to praise the Lord and, and to sing praises to him, you know, because he is the one who is worthy. Whether we have a cheerful heart or a suffering heart, it's, it's great for us to sing the praises unto God. So James here is clearly, he sets the initial, so uh, let me back up. Elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, I'm sorry, let's go back to the last part of, of verse 14 where it says um, that if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of Jesus. So, James here is clearly setting the initiative uh, for this call for prayer of the elders on the person who is sick, um, and not necessarily the elders going to the person and saying, hey, I've noticed you're sick, let me pray for you. So, that should give every one of us uh, a sigh of relief, that knowing that if there's something going on in our life, or if there's a sick person among us, or if we're sick, do not hesitate to call on the elders of the church for prayer. Um, it's, if you see, it says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. <clears throat> now let's talk about let, let them pray over him. James also said that the elders of the church, as, as they pray, should anoint the sick person with oil, and it goes on to say, in the name of the Lord. So this anointing with oil, it, it's, sometimes it's interpreted in a couple of different ways. It's either seeking the best medical attention possible um, because the oil would have a medicinal purpose, a healing, uh, a healing side of it, um, and also, it can be uh, a symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit in that situation. So anointing the sick with oil, it's also mentioned in Mark chapter 6, verse 13. And you might remember it in Luke um, chapter 10, where it was used in, in the uh, story of the Good Samaritan. It, men it mentions this application of oil in a medicinal sense. So olive oil, um, historically, it has been effective as a medical agent. And so there is weight that can be added you know, to that. So we, we, we look back here and we see the praise connected to the one that's suffering, prayer that's connected to I'm sorry, we, we see um, 
praise that's connected to the one who's cheerful, prayer, the one that's connected to the one that's suffering, and for the sick to call for the elders of the church to anoint with oil and pray. A couple fascinating things that I want to point out in these verses. Um, It Um, when it says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray. Number one, it's assuming that these believers are in a church with elders and spiritual leaders over them. Many, Many times I'll hear people in this day and age say something like, I don't need to go to church. I can find God outside or I can just you know, worship God on my own or on my bicycle or in the woods or whatever. And you may be able to experience God in all those places because, yes, God is everywhere. However, it's, it's interesting that we see James referencing elders and the church. And we need to understand that... Um, again and again, um, that we have this, there is this individual work that, of faith that happens in us. However, God doesn't save us according to, we need to understand that we have, that we have this, that God works in us individually. However, we're also saved into this one another type faith, meaning that we need each other. We need community. And, and God just doesn't save us according to like a big group or a race or a class or anything like that. There is the individual part of it, but we also need to, to be one to another. We need to serve one another. We're here for each other. That's something that you can't get if you're not fellowshipping in church. So this, this um, one to another faith, it's a faith that is established in community. And even though we're individually set right with God, yet we are saved to be in a community. So it goes on here to say that, um, that um, oil, as I said earlier, can represent this power of the Holy Spirit. It also can represent the medicinal portion. So it would be fair to say that the best practice would be prayer uh, for um, healing and good medical attention. So I believe there's a balance there um, shown here in, the, in these scriptures. So. so oil was and is frequently used in the East as a means of cure in very dangerous diseases. It says here that in Egypt it was often used to cure, it was as one of the cures for the plague uh, in, in Europe. It has been... Um, it, it tried and with great success in the cure of dropsy. And pure olive oil is an excellent, um, um, you know, uh, cover for like rec- recent wounds and bruises. And um, so if you have, I, I would keep olive oil around your house. It's something that's useful. <laughs> so, all right. Um, so to sum up verses 13 and 14, we can assume that believers are in community. We also can see that there's this structural leadership that's over them um, and that our faith has never really meant to be individualized. It, it, you know, we come to the Lord um, individually with um, confessing our own sin, receiving him, but then we, um, we flourish as we become part of a community and, and serve God that way. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. Verse number 15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16 says, confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, 
fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So, the prayer of faith will save the sick. Many here have wondered if James is guaranteeing that there's this healing uh, for the sick when they're prayed for in faith. So some, some will interpret that as, you know, to be so, or some will interpret that it's a, ref, a reference that is to the ultimate resurrection or um, when, when we go to heaven. The, the reference to sin being forgiven adds to the idea that James is considering a spiritual work and a healing and not necessarily just a physical healing. Every person that gets healed of a sickness, no matter if they were prayed for or if they went to the best doctor, eventually that person will still, will still die. Um, I, just, I just had a friend uh, this past week um, that I went to school with. He had developed cancer, um, and I think he's like 52 years old. Um, and um, his, his, his brother is involved in ministry. Uh, he's been saved since he was 19, 20 years old. Um, godly grandparents, godly parents uh, around him. Um, went to church, you know. He, he got cancer, and um, many, many people prayed for him. And um, I can say this is even true for my, my sister. Same kind of scenario. Many people would pray. She would get better, then she would get worse, and then she would get better, and then she would get worse. And then we begin to wonder, um, you know, shouldn't it just be you pray and they get healed? Um, and everything's great. Um, but we, we, and I, sad to say, my, my friend passed away um, this past week. Um, and, and, you know, we just have to trust the Lord with, with these things. Um, so the context of, of the statement, well, one thing is um, our bodies, you know, these, these tents, these temporary things that we have that that house the spirit of God and, and our, our soul. Um, they're much like a, a, a physical tent that you would take camping. Um, you know, they, they, they're here, um, it, you know, they'll, if it gets a tear in it, you might be able to sew it up, patch it up or whatever. But in comparison to what is promised for us in glory, you've heard about the mansion in glory that's, that's, a, that's a, a, a place, a dwelling place that ultimately, when we are praying for healing here, that's one of the things that we'll get. So if we're praying for healing here, yes, God may heal you temporarily, but remember, that healing is temporary. But the eternal, the eternal healing comes, you know, later, you know, when we're in glory with him. So I believe that the context here in this statement, it demands that James does not exclude physical healing as an answer to prayer, though he does seem to mean something broader, and, and it, I don't think it's just a physical healing. We should pray for others in faith, expecting that God will heal them, and, and then leave that matter into God's hands. So, and it's clear that, um, you know, we're not necessarily granted immediate healing every, to every person of faith. I've, of, I've often wondered, too, with this, when I was a younger believer, I'm like, when, when we pray the prayer of salvation, when, when we pray and, and uh, you know, uh, confess the Lord as our Savior, it would be great if at that moment he just took us, you know, and then it would be over. But that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Because God has a purpose for our lives. He has a reason for us to be here. And somehow, in some way, he chooses to use people, you know, to communicate his love, to communicate his word, to, to live among others, to, to share and spread that. And much in the same way, I believe, you know, if, 
if there was instant gratification or instant satisfaction as soon as you prayed a simple prayer uh, that everything was fixed, um, I, I don't think that it would necessarily accomplish what God's trying to accomplish. Now, I have seen people prayed for and, and you know, they were healed um, rather quickly. Um, but there's two, two ways here, two things here that we want to make sure that we don't err in. And one is that we get to the point where we think that God doesn't heal. And with my, as I said, with my sister, when she had cancer, and when it was that close to home, it was a little difficult because I'm like, God, uh, she's the most loving person. She's, she's served you for so long. Why would you not just heal her, you know? And then you could tend to get to the point where you'd say, well, God doesn't heal. Well, that's, that's wrong. God does heal. The other place we can err is where we think that God heals everyone all the time, in, instantly. And sometimes, you know, we get ahead of God and we set up healing services and, and things like that, you know, and proclaiming, yeah, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Well, I would submit to you that we need to pray and, and, uh, and leave it in God's hands. So often we do not pray the prayer of faith out of concern for God's reputation. If there should be no healing, we should remember that God is big enough to handle his own reputation. So if we're praying for someone and, and, and God chooses not to heal them at that time, you know, again, we can just leave it into the hands of the Lord. All right, here is where um, it gets a little difficult in these verses. It says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So James reminds us that mutual confession and prayer brings healing, both physically and spiritually. One thing that happens when we confess is that it can free us from these heavy burdens that we tend to take on ourselves. Um, sometimes that could be unresolved sin or a secret sin or something that you're not, that you're just keeping it all inside and, and, and you're not um, confessing it. And the problem with these things, it, it, this, these things can hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's why the Lord is uh, challenging us here to confess to one another. Um, I think confession uh, to one another in the body of Christ is something that's essential um, because otherwise sin will actually uh, demand us or kind of keep a hold of us and draw us to himself. Sin will, like, own you. You begin, if you're, if you're in a secret sin or, or you're in a place of, of non-confession, you tend to isolate yourself. You tend to not want to be around other believers. Um, you tend to try to, um, I guess, feel better by not being confronted. Um, I, re I remember one time uh, there was this uh, young lady who... Um, was going through a difficult time, and, and uh, um, she, um, her car had broken down, and um, she knew that I had a car for sale. She was a Christian lady that um, went to our church, and she came to me and said, hey, I, I'd be interested in buying your car if, if you could, um, you know, sell it to me on time or whatever, and I'm like, and I, I can't even remember what the car was or what the price was, but let's just say it was like $3,000, and I was like, okay, yeah, sure, just, you know, give me what you can afford, and I said, you tell me what you can afford and you can pay me that every month. I'm cool with that. So she did and she set the, the parameters and I, I sold the car to her and she gave me the down payment. She first month made the payment, second month made the payment, third month made the payment, but when it came to the fourth month, she didn't make a payment. I'm like, oh, that's fine, you know, just whatever. The next month, no payment. And then I noticed she stopped coming to church. Next month, no payment. And then I'm like, okay. So I'm like knocking on a door. Of course, she's thinking I'm there to collect the money. Um, but I actually went and said, look, I'd rather 
not have this break in our relationship. So listen, your, your debt is forgiven. You don't owe me anything. When I, in fact, when I gave you the car, I didn't expect anything back. To be honest, I just wanted to bless you. And I don't want this to hinder our relationship, and more importantly, I don't want it to hinder the relationship that you have with our Lord. So, um, needless to say, when that was removed, she was back in church, she was back in relationship, and eventually she, she, um, she did pay me off, you know, so it was a win-win. However, what tends to happen is these things can get in the way of our relationship. Like, so imagine if there's a sin or something that's going on in your life, and you just live with it. You just live with it, and it just c- continues to continue, continue, and it can it can hinder the relationship with you and the Lord and you and the other people around you. A lot of times it'll cause isolation. It'll cause you to, to like look inward, to stay inward, to not be around other people. So we're challenged to confess these sins to one another. So let's, let's uh, talk through this a little bit because um, it's, it can be a little, little tricky here. So to one another, well, confession to one another in the body of Christ it's something I believe that's essential because sin will demand us, it'll isolate us, and it breaks the power, this confession, if we confess it, it will break the power of that secret sin. What, what, what do I mean by that? Well, for instance, if, there's, if someone is saying, um, you know, or if, if, if you're known to be, let's say, uh, a gossip, okay, you're a gossip, okay, um, and... Um, you know, um, if if you if you're um, if you confess that, like, hey, I, I, I'm yeah, I'm a sinner. You need to pray for me, man. I've been having trouble gossiping. Well, then that takes actually the power away from the other person that's going to go around and say, hey, do you know that person? He's a gossip. <laughs> you know, because if you're confessing it, you're putting it out there, and it takes that takes that, and you you could take that to the other degrees, but basically, you're stealing the arrows out of the enemy's quiver. When, when, when you're confessing your sin. Now, there is a caution. We need to be careful when we're confessing sins one to another. You need to use wisdom. You need to use discernment. Um, you know, if, if there's something happening in, in your life and, and you, you don't want to go to a person and confess a sin that would maybe cause them to fall into temptation or, or things like that. So use discernment from the Lord when you're confessing, making sure that you know the people that you're confessing to um, and, and also that their intentions aren't, you know, to basically use that information to create a, a bunch of problems, you know. Um, let me uh, share with you a, a little story, actually. Um, so there were, there were these uh, four preachers, um, and they, they would meet together uh, every week for, uh, just to get together. And during their conversation, one of the preachers said, you know, our people have come to us and they pour out their, their hearts and they confess certain sins and needs. He said to these four preachers, he said, let's do the same. So confession is good for the soul. So in due time, all of these preachers agreed. One confessed he liked to go to the movies and, and would sneak off when he was away from his church. The second confessed um, that he liked to smoke a cigar every now and again, and he actually enjoyed playing cards. And, uh, and, and the, 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 um, and the, actually, the second one confessed that he liked to smoke cigars, and the third one confessed that he liked to, to play cards. And uh, when it came to the fourth one, he just wouldn't confess. So the, the others were pressing him and saying, come now, we've confessed our sins. What's your secret or what's your vice? And then finally he answered, well, it's gossiping, and I can hardly wait to get out of here. So, so th- that's why we have to be careful who we confess our sins to. So, confession need not be to a priest or any other imagined mediator. We simply confess to one another as appropriate. Confession is good, but must be made with discretion. An unwise confession of sin can be the cause of more sin. We need to be careful. So sin should especially be confessed where physical healing is necessary. 
So it's possible that by no means always the case that a person's sickness is the direct result of some sin that has not been dealt with, as Paul um, said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. So sometimes, you know, we, well, we remember when, when, we, um, when, we, when we have communion, we're, we're cautioned, you know, we're cautioned to take some time and make sure that we have that time with God to, uh, to, to get those, those things taken care of. And, and sometimes we're even cautioned to, hey, if you need to go to another person and make things right, go ahead and do that. Sometimes people then, and, and, and we're, we're cautioned because if we take the communion um, it's, it, unworthily or not being prepared and not, things being uh, taken care of, then, you know, there could even be sickness or even, even death, it, 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 and it says in the Word. So we, we want to we be careful uh, that we're in the right standing with the Lord. So the, the root form here means literally to say the same thing. That word confess, the root form of it literally means to say the same thing. So when we confess our sin, especially to God, it's not like he's caught by surprise. He's already aware of what we're into, what we're doing, and what's happening, and what's going on. So basically, we're agreeing with God when we confess it to him. We're saying, yes, Lord, I know that I've wronged. This is what I've done. And um, so that, uh, another way that you can see that word confess is like this. Like when, when my wife says, I love you, well, I confess to her the same thing. I love you. That's an agreement. Like we're agreeing. We're coming together on this. And that's really the, 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 the good thing about confession is that it, it brings us together. It brings, so if, if you've sinned against a person, well, by all means, if you can, go to that person and, and try to seek that relationship, that reconciliation. It might mean you have to confess to them that you've taken advantage of a situation or whatever the case may be. And that could bring back that reconciliation. That could bring that relationship back. And then confessing to God, it's, it's similar in that we're already telling God what he knows, but it's getting us back to where we need to be. It's getting us back into a right relationship with God. So in, in, the, in, the, primitive, um, in the primitive church, um, this confession was something that was done uh, very, uh, very routinely. Um, it was a part of, of the, um, the service. And in, in one of the earliest manuals of the church, um, it prescribes, it says, you must confess your sins in church and not betake yourself in prayer with a bad conscience. Um, so we can see that if, if there's sin that's unconfessed, it, it can actually hinder our, our prayer. So the great conviction of sin and the subsequent confession of this sin is common during, it was, it's common during times of spiritual awakening as well. There's really nothing unusual about confessing during like a revival. Um, um, in in uh, North China, uh, there were um, re revivals under um, Jonathan Goforth and, and confession was almost in, in, invariably the prelude to um, a blessing, and one writer describes the. Con oh, one second here. I have too many notes. Here we go. One and one writer describes the significant Korean revivals associated with Go Forth by saying. We may have our theories of the desirability or undesirability of public confession of sin. I have had mine, but I know that when the Spirit of God falls upon guilty souls, there will be confession, and no power on earth can stop it. Um, another little story I'd like to share with you here. Um, um, there was uh, in Houston, Texas, at the Jersey Village Baptist Church back in uh, February of 1995, the congregation began their evening service at 6.30 p.m. They were just expecting a routine worship service, and during the invitation, a young girl walked the aisle, and she just confessed her sin. She sought the Lord's forgiveness and sought encouragement from the church. After her response to God, other members started con 
coming forward and confessing their sins. Around 9 p.m., some members relieved a couple of the workers that were in the nursery so that the, those workers could come and, and experience or have the opportunity to, to commune with God as well. So that couple went to the altar and they asked for prayer. Their son ran away four months before um, because he wanted the freedom to, to live his own life. He didn't want to live under their rules. While this church was praying, that young man was at Mardi, Mardi Gras in Galveston. He felt God moving on him to go home. So he took that 90-minute drive to home only to find a dark house, and he was wondering, where are my parents? It's, it's so late. Certainly they're still not at church, but then he went ahead and drove over to the church anyway. A deacon recognized the, the boy at the back, and he opened the door and and pointed him to where his parents were at the altar. They were still kneeling there. The son tapped him on the shoulder. In a tearful embrace, he told of his desire to come home and recommit his life to Christ. So what if that young girl had not been obedient to repent of her sins? That worship service may have just ended or just lasted the usual hour um, and not have gone on to 11 p.m. Now, I'm not saying that's what has to happen in every circumstance. But many times uh, in those cases where God awakens us or there's a, a, an unction of revival or where we need to be woke up or come out of our sleeping, many times it's done when we see uh, someone else get things right in their life. And you know what happens? We become jealous of that and we want to be right with the Lord because we know that there's something inside of us that we've been keeping back. And then that begets the next person, the next person, the next person. That's, in essence, revival. I've, I've always wondered, you know, just personally, you know, you drive by a church and it says, Sunday, 6 p.m., revival. And I was always like, how do you know? <laughs> you know, because isn't revival something that happens at the will of the Spirit? And then when God pours that out and, and when people respond to God's, initiation that's how revivals happen you know just like you know it, it could happen i guess sunday at 6 p.m but wow wouldn't it be awesome if it just happened right now you know in our own hearts and that was contagious and spread to other people so public confession of sin does have a potential for great good it also can have potential for great bad um, if it's done in the wrong way so we want to look at some principles or some guiding ways that we can make sure that we are doing this the right way. Confession should be made to one, to the one sinned against. Most Christians display a preference for confession in secret before God, even concerning matters which involve other people. And many times I believe this is just because we don't like to be confronted. We don't like to confront sin. We, we don't, we want to just uh, deal with it in private. But to confess to God seems to them and or to us to be an easier way out. It, it, its offenders were really, were really conscious of the presence of God. Even secret confession of private sin would have a good effect. But most offenders merely commune with themselves instead of making contact with God, who refuse their prayers under certain conditions. In, in the words of our Lord, it is clear that sin involving another person should be confessed to that person. So if we've, if we've done something uh, and, and against another person, as we should confess. Confess it to the Lord, yes, but confess to that person. Make that relationship right. Also, confession should often be public. In James 5.16, it illustrates that principle. Um, um, A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar, says uh, that in James 5, 16, the odd tense of the Greek verb confess in this verse implies group confession rather than private confession. It is confession one to others, not one to one other. So, there, so this may be like in your prayer group or in your Bible study, um, you know, that, or your small group, it would be a, a time where you could, you could make things right um, with those other people or before God. 
Public confession must be discreet. Often the confession needs to be no more than just what is necessary to enlist prayer. It can be enough to say publicly, pray for me, I need victory over this sin. I would be, it, it may be wrong to, to go into more detail. In, in fact, I'll use myself as an illustration. Um, I'll confess to you right now, I'll confess this sin to you right now. In fact, I have been cheating on my diet. And, and you know, as I confess that to you, I know that there's people here who love me, and you know my health conditions, and I know that even just by confessing that, when I come into church next Sunday, you're going to ask me how my blood pressure is, how my sugar is, and all that. I, I, I know that. That's part of it. That's part of confession. See, because when I confess that, um, then those who care for you are going to pray for you. And if you're praying for someone, you can't help but be concerned about what's going on. Also, another biblical principle, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. See? It's very evident. <laughs> you know? So, if, if you have something that you're holding on to, don't be afraid to confess it. Because that allows others to participate in, in the prayer and, and to be able to it, account, accountability to help, help you along with those, those things. But discretion must be used. Um, see, sometimes it would be wrong for us to go into more detail depending on what the sin is or, um, you know, almost all sexual transgressions are either secret or private. They need to be confessed, but a burden too great to bear may be shared with a pastor or doctor or a friend of the same sex rather than um, being too vulnerable to someone. Just be, be careful when you're confessing these things to, to one another. Scripture actually discourages even the naming of immorality among believers and declares that it's a shame even to speak of these things that's, that are done in secret or immoral, and kind of keep that in mind. Don't let it rob you of the freedom of being free from the sin, but just be very discreet and confess to um, someone who's trusted. So you need to distinguish between the secret sins and those that directly affect others. If you sin secretly, confess secretly, and admitting publicly that you need the victory, but keeping details to yourself. If, if you sin openly, like if everybody already knows what's going on, well then confess openly. R remove the stumbling blocks from others um, whom you have hindered. And that would be a good, a good reason to, to confess openly. If many, if many people know about everything that's going on, well then confess it openly so that, again, it pulls those arrows out of the quiver of the enemy it also just removes all those stumbling blocks for people that are looking at you. They're thinking, oh, well, this guy says he's a Christian, but I've seen him do this, this, or that, or whatever. But, uh, um, you know, always be considerate of, of the other people. <clears throat> um, confession is often made to people, but before God. And at the same time, we notice that James says, confess your trespasses to one another. One of the interesting things about confession of sin is... Um, that I, I've seen here in the writings of uh, Edwin Orr is that the confessions are almost always addressed to people and not to God. It isn't that you, you confess your sin to God and others merely overhear it, but you confess your sin before others and ask them to pray for you to get it right before God. So, <clears throat> confession. Well, it should be thorough. Some confessions are not thorough, they're too general. Um, and they're made to the person's concerning uh, to the person concerned, but they neglect completely the necessary restitution, or they make no provision for uh, a different course of conduct in which sin that's being forsaken. So we we need to confess to the point of of being able to be freed from it, to turn it over, but then also to make sure that we're on a correct path. And and as I said, one of those things are you know our brother and sister, or maybe our pastor and elder they're able to, um, to continue to disciple us in the correct, um, correct way after confession is made.
So um, there was a, a, something called the English prayer book, um, and it was used before um, a communion service. And um, the minister would, would give this invitation. He, he would say, come to me or to some other discreet and learned minister of God's word and open his grief that by the ministry of God's holy word, he may receive the benefit of absolution. So we see that by being able to clear out these, uh, these things by confession, we're able to um, receive that benefit of things uh, being revealed. Real, deep, genuine confession of sin has been a feature of every genuine revival within the past 250 years. And we can even see that in Ephesians, uh, I mean, that in Ephesus, we see in the book of Acts, um, chapter 19, verses 17 to 20, um, it said that many who believed came confessing and telling their deeds. This, um, this was the way that a Christian was able to get right with God, and, and open confession was definitely a part of that. So, All right, we see here in this verse, it says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In writing about the need for prayer, for the suffering, for the sick, and for the sinning, James points to the effective nature of prayer when it's fervent and offered by a righteous man or woman. So the idea of a fervent, of, of, of fervent in this context, it's, it's basically saying it may be rendered literally very strong is the supplication of a righteous man. So it's, it's something we can see that is um, earnest, it's, it's, it's uh, repeated, it's... Um, you know, the word fervent, one way I would, I would like to describe it is like we've all been praying fervently um, for uh, the bus and the donations to make it to the Dominican. We've had that on our prayer list for a long, long time. And, um, you know, and by God's grace, we can say, wow, we've seen the, the Lord answer this prayer. But I will say there were times even when we were still fervently praying, I was thinking, wow, is this ever going to happen? You know, and and, um, you know, after you go through one roadblock, after another roadblock, after another roadblock, well, that's a challenge to us just to, to be fervent in, in our prayer, to not, to not give up. And, and another part of that, uh, of praying fervently, is um, the word earnest, in earnest. It's almost uh, like you, you're praying about something uh, sometimes, uh, you know, I guess I'll confess this too. Sometimes someone will come and, and say, hey, can you pray about this situation for me? And, and I'll be like, yeah, sure. And um, I might write it down and I might even pray it, but I don't relate to it. I don't, I don't in earnest pray, pray it or fervently take it on myself or own that situation. And I think that's kind of what, what we're getting at here. This, this fervent prayer is something that you take on in earnest and that you own it and that you really do want to see the Lord answer this prayer. Um, so, um, we, we know that, um, in order for this prayer to be effective, um, it says it has to be this fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman, and that's what's going to avail much. So that, I, I think it's interesting that this comes after the confession and getting everything right in order for us to be righteous or right standing with God uh, in order for our prayers to be answered. So, Many times there are things that can hinder our prayers. What are those things? Not being in a right place with God could hinder your prayers if, if we're not uh, fervent, uh, if we're not genuine uh, in our confession, if we're not genuine in our prayers. Um, there's many things, you know, that, that could affect um, these prayers. So this strong, fervent, um, energized, earnest prayer. So... Um, so when, when such a power of prayer is granted, faith should be immediately called into exercise. So um, we exercise these prayers in faith, believing, yes, that, that, that God is, is in fact going to answer these prayers. Many, many times, even when it comes to like prayers of healing, prayers of faith in that, in that manner, um, if, if someone prays and they don't necessarily see the healing right away, they'll say, well, he must not have had the faith to pray. To, to receive that. Maybe the person praying didn't have the faith. Maybe the person being prayed for didn't have the faith. So we'll hear that at times. So it's, it's uh, definitely important for us to earnestly, fervently 
pray believing you know that um that god will um, answer our prayers much of our prayer is not effective simply because it's not fervent it's often with often offered with a lukewarm attitude um, and um, maybe it's just to get the words out so that we can say that we've prayed um, additionally effective prayer is offered by a righteous man as i'd said or woman recognizing that the grounds of our righteousness are solely in jesus it's not in in us and our personal walk will it it'll generally consist of us walking in step or that agreeance with jesus being able to agree with god which means confession and you know believing god's word and being in a right standing with god um so the word avails much um so it was so with john knox whose prayers were more um more dreaded by mary of scots than the armies of philip if if you remember that scenario and so and it's almost like um you know just not giving up not not being um uh flippant about our prayers but just to continue so verse 17 and verse 18 It says here, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly or fervently that it would not rain. And guess what? It didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I think this verse is really interesting, especially since we're coming up on an election. Um, sometimes we think our prayers won't make a difference or they're not supposed to be used for things outside of the church or outside of healing or or anything like that well clearly here um elijah was praying for it to not rain you know that's something it's it's a bit like why why would he even do this and you know the the, the thing about elijah the bible tells us you know that uh he was a he was a man like like you and me, he, his nature was the same as, as ours, but we see this as a model of an earnest prayer that was answered by God. His effectiveness in prayer extended even as far as the weather. So it's not, it's not out there to pray for things like elections or, um, or for things that are, are needed for the church or things that are, it's, it's you know, we're, we can pray for these things. Pray, to pray earnestly, literally, this is um, prayed with prayer. To truly pray, by definition, is to be earnest. And um, and as I said, to, to think that, oh, well, it was Elijah. No wonder God answered his prayer. Well, you know, he, Elijah was a man with the same nature as us. Verse 19 Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he too turns a sinner from the error of his way, will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So it's talking about one wandering here, not wandering, but wandering, you know, just wandering, straying, getting off course and, and, um, not being where, where you need to be. So for us as a believer, if we're able to intercede and help this other person find their way back to the Lord, um, someone who wanders, um, and, someone, and the, this person turning him back, that would be us. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This shows us that God uses human instruments in turning sinners back. It shows us that, as we said earlier, you know, God allows us to be involved in this process. He has a purpose for us, um, this human instrument or human connection. I'm, I'm, I, I often think sometimes if God were a surgeon and I were a knife, that many times uh, that, that, that surgical instrument um, Am I, am I the, the right tool for the job 
or am I sharp, am I ready to be used, or, or, or whatever. Those are the things we need to put before the Lord, but God knows that, so God could heal without using an instrument, but God chooses to use people, and us as instruments in this process. So along that line, if we, if we, can we not say that when we refuse to make ourselves available to God's service, weak and failing as we are, we are in fact, we in fact rob God of the glory. You see, because when something good happens and, and God used us, like even, let's just use the bus thing as an example. Uh, when I first thought about getting that over there, I was like, how is this going to even happen? But I knew it could because I, I felt the Lord wanted it to happen. God could have done it without any of us being a part of it. But since we were a part of it, everybody knows that it wasn't us because we couldn't do it. It was impossible. So God did it, so then God gets the glory. You know, so that sometimes by using these physical beings, instruments like us, it, it enables God to receive the glory. So we're going to conclude that with, with this because um, we're talking about um, confession and prayer. One of the most important confessions that you're ever going to make in prayer is the one where you confess that you're a sinner. It's the one where, where you repent, the one where you know that you're in need of repentance. And I would say that today, if, if you're here and you've never had that opportunity or you've never taken God up on his offer, you know, because it's God who first works in you, you know, today, if you've not made that confession, consider surrendering to God's call on your life. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, you know, Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says that we must confess that Jesus is Lord. So these are confessions as well. And in believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we can be saved. These are confessions. So what's confess? It means we're agreeing with God. We're agreeing with him. I'm a sinner. Yep, God, I am a sinner. Um, the only way given among men by which to be saved is through Christ Jesus. Yes, I confess that. I believe that. Um, when we confess Jesus is Lord, you know, that's something to say. That's, that's a lot. That's saying a lot. Because when you allow Jesus to be Lord of your life, it means, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm no, I, I, I no longer want to be driving the bus. I no longer want to be the one that, that's dictating, you know. So many times, uh, you know, God calls and we push away. Um, so I would just challenge you this morning, surrender, surrender to um, the Lord's call. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Once again, confessing that, agreeing, agreeing with what has been said, agreeing with the Lord in, the, in this situation. And um, so that's it for the day. Uh, um, I will say this, before we um, take up the offering, if the elders would go ahead and get ready for that, before we, we do that, I want to remind you that afterwards, we're going we're gonna to sing a song. It could be a good opportunity if, if, you're, um, if you're in the position where um, you're cheerful and you want to praise the Lord, well then do so. If you're going through something, if you're suffering or you're in a place of, of uh, where something needs to be confessed to the Lord, I would, I would say take that time, confess that to the Lord. I would also say that after, after we have the, the offering after we have the, the, the last song and then after we have the benediction 
the elders are going to be up front. And if, if you need to, take that time to just come and pray and, and confess. All right, we're going to go ahead and um, let, me, let me close in prayer real quick, and then we'll go ahead and take up the offering. Lord, we thank you for your word. I know many times, um, many times we're looking for um, just a quick fix or answers right away. Lord, help us to, to when, even when we confess and we pray, help us to trust you with those situations. Lord, we know that you're in control and we just want to have that right relationship with you, that there's nothing between us and you or us and other people around us. Lord, we want to be in a right standing with you and people so that we can be effective witnesses for you and to fulfill the purposes you have for us here. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.